Good morning, Heart Church. Excited to be with you this morning. Thanks for uh, tuning in wherever you're coming from, whether it's here in Escondido or uh, maybe another state or another city. My name is Shane. I'm the pastor of Heart Church, and um, we are located right here in the heart of the city. And we've been having our outdoor services starting at nine o'clock. And so I wanted to invite you out if uh, you're looking for a church. Uh, we all need to be in church right now. And so whether that's in a building or outside, right now we're meeting outdoors 9 a.m. at 215 South Hickory uh, every Sunday morning. We actually have an exciting announcement, and that is we're going to be moving back indoors for our normal, regular service indoors starting October 11th. And so more information about that, but I wanted you to put that on your calendar if you're interested. But we've been in a series in the book of John, and we're going to pick up in John chapter 8 because we've been in a story. Uh, we were there a couple weeks ago, and we're back there where Jesus finds a woman caught in adultery. And um, as I've been going through the book of John, I've sort of been doing these little mini-series where I just kind of land on a passage and I can't get past it. And this was one of those times when I'm like, man, Jesus finds this woman caught in adultery. The Pharisees drag her out into the midst and shame her. And I sort of went at it as the angle of what are we going to do with sin? What do you do with sin, with your failures, with your past, present, and future shortcomings from the glory of God? And um, it's easy to give the Christian answer, well, it's Jesus. Jesus covers my sin. But I want to take a deeper dive on this story. Two weeks ago, we talked about the importance of bringing things to the light to bring healing to our sin. Not just saying Jesus covers it generically, but what are we going to do with it? Well, it needs to be healed. And so the, the Pharisees brought this woman out into the midst to humiliate her. And it was interesting because Jesus did nothing to stop them, to, you know, shield her from the, from the shame of it um, or the humiliation of it. Jesus just kind of hung out. And then he knelt and he wrote some things in the dirt but he allowed it to happen. And what I wrote in my notes last week and what we talked about was what was meant to be cruel ended up being a gift. Because what we know is that what lives in the dark dies in the light. And so the Pharisees literally drug her out into the midst. Now I'm not saying or suggesting that any one of us should ever be treated that way. But there's a concept here about bringing our secrets to the light, not living in the shadows, not allowing. See, we build, we build a, a little fortress around ourselves when we're ashamed. We don't want anyone to know. And so we hide and we pretend like it's not there. We minimize it or we actually protect it and hide it and not let anyone else see what's really going on. And we, we tell ourselves, oh, it's fine because I'm never going to do that again right? Uh, I'm never going to commit that sin or I'm never going to fall into that again, but I'm never going to tell anyone because I feel safe. But really what's happening is that when we're hidden, it's a petri dish for the enemy. And when we bring things to the light, as he is in the light, then we bring, bring it to healing. And so um, this is such a powerful demonstration of what Jesus is doing is he's helping her come to the light and bring healing and wholeness to our lives. And so we tackled that a couple weeks ago. So this week, I want to go, okay, we talked about where healing comes from. Where does transformation come from? Because Jesus didn't just pay for our sin and it's like, okay, that's fine. But he provided a pathway for us to find healing and actual transformation 
on the inside. And we see it because Jesus, he says a statement to her that's kind of ridiculous at the end of this interaction in John chapter eight, where he says to the woman, go and sin no more. What? That gets, that's ridiculous. Go and sin no more. You're, you're talking to a sinner. You're talking to somebody who, who basically makes it their lifestyle to sin. And you're telling her because of this, this transaction, this interaction, now she's free. Now she's free to go sin no more. See, our way of dealing with how to get somebody to not sin is not what Jesus did. What we do is we show people the consequences. Kind of like these, these Pharisees. Drag her out into the midst and make her an example of her so everybody else will see what happens when somebody does something like this. You, you act this way, this is what you get. And I feel like this is, this is what we do in our parenting. Hey, son, if you want bad things to happen, if you don't want bad things to happen, then don't do that. And so I would have thought Jesus would have come to this woman and draw a diagram like, listen, this is what happens when you do that. This is my one get out of free jail card. But if you do it again, here's what's going to happen. Remember the stoning? Remember the humiliation? Yeah, that's what happens when you act like that. And so let that be the motivation for you to be different. You need to be different. Go do better. See, this is, this is the Pharisee's model. And frankly, I think we fall into the same thing. But Jesus, he was after something different. And that's kind of what I want to dig into is that for Jesus, it it really wasn't just about go do better. It wasn't about her behavior. See, Jesus was looking on the inside and saying, what, what needs to happen for her to actually be different, not just act different? And I think Jesus asks the same thing to us and, 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 and invites us to ask ourselves the same question. What is it that causes actual transformation in our life? not just behavior modification. The Pharisees, they would have been really happy with just clean up the outside of the cup, do the right things, go through the motions, wash that thing up and make it look good and make sure it doesn't get any more dirt on the outside of the cup. And Jesus is going, let's look inside. What's going on inside is what impacts what everyone else experiences on the outside. See, in your life and in my life, what people are experiencing on the outside is simply a byproduct of what's going on in here. And so I want to take you to uh, Luke chapter 8. And this is going to be our text today. And it doesn't really have anything to do with sin. It has to do with what's going on on the inside. Because the, the question that we're trying to ask to answer right now is, where does real transformation come from? See, we know Jesus covers our sin and then we see that healing, the doorway to healing is light. But now that I'm healed, I want to be different. And so just to throw a blanket Jesus statement on everything is not helpful because though he is the door and he is the answer, he leads us to transformation on the inside. But if we're not careful in our pursuit for transformation, we settle for better behavior. Go do better. Luke chapter 8 and verse 4 is where we find ourselves. And it says, when a great crowd was gathered and people from the town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out 
and sowed seed. And as he sowed, some fell among the path and he was trampled underfoot and the birds devoured it. Some fell among the rock and it grew up and then it withered because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and, it, and then it choked it. And then some fell among the good soil and it grew and yielded a, a hundredfold. And he said to these things, he said these things, and he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Father God, I ask that you truly would allow us to hear. That this wouldn't just be another sermon and it wouldn't just be another podcast, but God, I ask that your word would speak that we would be transformed on the inside. No one is interested in just being a little bit better. But Father God, I ask that you would open up our eyes and transform us from the inside. In Jesus' name, amen. This is an interesting parable because Jesus is saying, listen, there's, there's a farmer and we all know what the seed is and the seed is God's word. And, and Jesus is saying the, the seed of my word is thrown out and has the ability to produce fruit, produce change, produce transformation. And when the seed gets thrown out, he talks about some different soils. And then he says, the outcome is X. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we don't actually spend very much time talking about the soil. See, we kind of focus on the expectation and the results. We do this in our marriage. I do this in my marriage. We talk about the expectation of what we'd like to see happen. And then what actually happens? The seed, what what we can do better, how we can be better, and then what we hope to accomplish on the other end. And if that doesn't work, we sort of double down on it. And we say, hey, maybe we just need to communicate better the expectation to get a better result. Maybe we just need to make sure that the, the seed, the, the communication, the, the, the desired outcome is more clear. Have you ever done this? I know I have. I've sat down with my wife or she sat down with me and man, we hammer stuff out. We talk about the expectations and all these things and what we'd like to see happen. And then we're just looking for a result. And in the middle, there's this gaping hole that needs to be bridged. And this gaping hole is called the soil. The environment where this seed, this desire, this truth, this expectation can grow to produce something good. It's the soil of our relationships, the soil of our heart, the condition of our lives that produces something. And notice the, the emphasis that Jesus puts, the entire parable that's told, that's told in all three gospels. The entire story is about soil. It's not about the seed, Jesus could have waxed eloquently about, let me tell you how powerful the seed is. Let me tell you about the word of God. Let me tell you about how every, you know, it never returns void. Let me tell you about how it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And they always go, like he could have done all that and all that would have been true. He could have talked about the fruit. He could have talked about the importance of bearing fruit and how, how amazing it is when we walk outside and we see the fruit of our labor. But 
in this particular parable, he didn't talk about any of that. He just simply casually said, yeah, a farmer went out and he threw some seed. And oh, by the way, that seed's really powerful. And it has the ability to produce a hundredfold crop. So he went out and threw some seed. And let me tell you about where that seed landed. Let me tell you about the soil. And then let me go, let me, let me go a little bit deeper and tell you the intricacies of the soil. Let me tell you what was in that soil and then what it produced and why it produced that. And he went each time and talked about the soil. Why? Because fruit is a byproduct of something. The outcome of our lives, the, the behavior of our lives, the outcome of a relationship is a byproduct of something. See, the Pharisees, um, they, they really could care, care less about that. All they cared about was behavior. See, we ain't got time for like a talk about fruity fruit stuff. Just like be better. And that's what they were telling this woman. And that's what they were telling everybody around that watched as they were going to stone this woman as an example to say loud and clear with a megaphone, be better. Do better. Don't behave like this because if you do, you're going to get shamed and then stoned. And so go be better. This is their message. And Jesus, he, he acts completely different with this, with this lady. And, and, and if we're not careful, we can just view Jesus as soft. But Jesus is not soft on sin. More importantly, there's something that Jesus was way more concerned about than whether or not this woman was going to go do better or go behave differently. Jesus was after something different. He was after transformation. I want to pause right here and I want to say this to you. For your life and mine, Jesus is interested in much more the condition of your heart and the transformation of your life than the behavior that you do. And it's easy to get stuck in because we can measure our behavior and we can pat ourselves on the back or get down on ourselves. And it's very, it's very linear and it's very uh, you know, uh, data driven. But Jesus is concerned about the condition of your heart and the transformation taking place on the inside that's not always visible. Sometimes it's the iceberg below the water, but this is what produces true transformation. And you can always tell the soil of somebody's heart by the things that they say. And we're going to spend the next uh, 15 minutes focusing on soil because soil is so powerful. The condition of your heart that produces what everybody else sees. This is how transformation takes place. Something takes place on the inside, deep in the ground, where sometimes you can't see it, you don't know it's there, but eventually you start to see the byproduct of that soil that the seed was able to. To enter, and you can always tell the soil by the words that come out of our mouth. We see it in the prodigal son. Prodigal son, he went wayward and he went and wasted his life and squandered the money, and he was coming back and he was like, I've done bad, and now I realize I've done bad, and so I want to go do good because I got to be better, I got to do better, I got caught. Kind of like this woman in adultery. I got caught, not by people, but by my circumstances. Now I'm in the pig's pen. My life has caught up with me and I now know I have to go do better. And so what does he say? 
on his way back, he, he, just, he wrote out a speech and he rehearsed it in his mind over and over and over. This is what I will tell my father. I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And so I will be your servant. This was the soil of his heart. I am no longer worthy. But Father, I can come back and I can serve well for you. I know I can do better, not as a son, but as your servant, I can go work it off. I can do better. And so the son wasn't concerned about the transformation on the inside of his heart. All he, know, he knew is I, I, my behavior needs to be better and I will prove that. That was the soil of his heart. I think many of us can find ourselves there because we think that's what's expected of us. So I want to talk about three soils because soil is going to, be, is going to determine whether or not we have good lasting fruit in our lives, transformation, or if it's just at the end of the day, one big well-intentioned performance. The first thing is this. Good soil starts with acceptance. Good soil starts with acceptance. Have you ever met a Christian that's just constantly beating themselves up? Just never can, can measure up to their own standard or other people's standard. And they're just, they just feel so unworthy. I, I remember when I was in fifth grade, I had a stutter. And it was a really bad stutter. It was to the point where I would sit, would sit in class and I'd get called on by the teacher and I knew the answer, but I couldn't get it out. And so I would, and I, was, I literally couldn't get the words out. And, and, and it, it got worse as, as my friends and other people were kind of laughing and chuckling under their breath. And I knew, I knew they were trying not to, but I was just making a scene and I would shut down. And I remember for a long season, it felt like a year and it was probably more like six or seven months where I would go home after every day at school and I would cry and I would say, mom, I don't want to go back. In fact, I want to be homeschooled because I can't handle the pressure anymore because I can't talk. And oftentimes it would even, it would even get stirred up at, at home because I felt this pressure that I was letting everyone else down and that I was always going to be like this. And so I was putting all this pressure on myself to like get over this and, and, and it was just making it worse. And I remember sitting at the table and trying to answer my dad. He asked me a question. I'd be like, and, and I just remember my mom, time and time again, she'd lay her hand on my shoulder and just say, Shane, it's okay. It's okay. And there was a, there was a moment in my journey where something clicked for me. And I look back now and I don't know if it was something specific she, she said or if it was just an environment she created, but I look back now and one of the breaking points, one of the releasing moments for me to get over this was my mom creating an environment where she made me feel accepted just the way that I was. I'm okay. I am accepted fully in all of my dysfunction in this, this thing that's humiliating me and others and it's, it's okay. I'm okay. And that released something for me. And shortly thereafter, I got over it. And it just became natural for me to talk because I felt loved and valued and accepted for who I am. And I know that this is, 
This is the environment that Jesus was creating with this woman. And we know this because of what Jesus said to this woman right before he said, go and sin no more. Like away with you, go and sin no more. He said, I do not condemn you. He said, where are your condemners? She said, they're they're not here. And he said, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. In other words, I accept you. I don't accept the sin. I accept you. And that's not who you are. I know you. I created you. I see you. And I fully accept you. Now I'm going to give you a little, uh, a, a little um, gold nugget that I got from my counselor in marriage because all of this works in marriage, by the way, and it works in significant relationships. And it's this. Acceptance always precedes change. Acceptance always precedes change. Every time, if you want true change, now listen, you can get somebody to behave differently by using fear tactics or having consequences or this or that. You can change behavior. But true transformation, true change, true turning is always preceded by acceptance. I love you just the way you are. Try that in your marriage. You want to see some things shift and change? Listen, try this. I accept you. I love you. Love is patient. I'm patient with you and you don't have to perform for me. I love you. Sounds counterintuitive, but I'm telling you that in the makeup of who we are as human beings, it releases something. And I believe it released something in that woman that day. I accept you. Now you are free to go live differently. You are free to be different. Not act different. Be different. And then your behavior will follow who you are. So we see in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, For now there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't condemn you. Why? Because I accept you. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. If your motivation to stop sinning is to be accepted by God or others, don't miss this. If your motivation to stop sinning, to do better, is to be accepted by God or others, then you have contaminated soil. You are accepted because of Jesus. So now you are free to stop sinning. Come on, somebody. You have Jesus who stands in front of you as the spotless lamb of God. And when God looks at you, he sees Jesus and you are fully accepted, fully righteous. And so when we operate in a place where I don't have to do the song and the dance, I don't have to be religious, I don't have to behave to get God's acceptance because he already accepts me then what the religious people would say was, oh, well, then you're just going to go do whatever you want because you don't have to. You don't have to perform. And what we know to be true is that God wired us completely different. It is the kindness, goodness, and love of God that leads us to repentance. When we finally realize we're accepted, it changes something. And now we get to live for God. And I want to give 
I want to, I want to sow. I want to be generous. I want to serve like never before in the house of God, but I want to do it. And I want my kids to do it and my family to do it because we get to, not because we have to, to be accepted. Good soil starts with acceptance and you are accepted because of Jesus. Second thing is this, good soil is free from expectation. Good soil is free from expectation. The soil that produces transformation in your life. Notice Psalm 23. This is King David. Notice his declaration as he walks through a life in relationship with God, free of expectation. The Lord is my shepherd and he expects a lot from me. He rewards good behavior and celebrates all my good deeds. And even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the law's expectations is ever before me and my shortcomings are all on my mind. He holds me to a high standard for his namesake. Surely goodness and mercy will follow those who keep his commandments and I will strive to please you all the days of my life. Now, those of you who have been in church for a while know that that's not Psalm 23. Sounds like it. Isn't it amazing how you add one little tweak to something that's beloved and quoted and it changes the whole environment? What did we add? We added expectation. An expectation that the big man has on me. I better perform if I'm gonna please him. See, we know that's not how Psalm 23 goes. And if you want to rehearse it yourself, I encourage you to read it because it's very different than that. And it, and it, it oozes an expectation-free relationship that he had with his father. See, love does not grow well in an environment of expectation. This is true in your marriage. In fact, it's almost impossible to recognize when it's present because it creates a debt-debtor relationship. It's difficult to recognize love when it's present when there's expectation there because expectation creates a debt-debtor relationship. If you owe me, you can't love me. If you owe me flowers, it's no longer an expression of love. You're just doing your job. And, when, and what was beautiful and romantic and dreamy suddenly becomes a burden. Ever happen in your marriage where there's an expectation for one another to meet the other's expectation? And so you try to do that. And in fact, even you try to do something nice, but it's not received as, oh my gosh, you're so kind, you're so loving. It's like, hey, thanks for meeting the expectation. Thanks for doing your job. Let me ask you this. How much gratitude do you express to someone who's simply doing their job? You go to work and your employee or your employer, they're just doing their job. Somebody works for you, your assistant, somebody, and, and they're just doing the status quo of their job. How much gratitude do you give them for just doing their job? On a, on a normal day, probably not very much. Think about that in context with your relationship with God. Listen to this. If your soil has expectation in it, the soil of your heart, as it relates to your relationship with God, if it has an expectation in it, then how will you recognize the love of God? 
why would he love you if you're just doing your job? If he expects holiness from you, this is the expectation. And you're living in such a way where you're just trying to please the big man upstairs. And this is the expectation that you hold yourself to and he holds you to every day of your life. And so when you do your very, very best, you're still subpar, aren't you? And so how are you going to recognize the love of God in your life when every day you fall short of his expectation on you? It's why the older brother had such a hard time recognizing the love of God in the prodigal son. You remember the prodigal son came home and the father, he ran out to him. And before the prodigal son could rehearse that ridiculous speech about how he's not worthy, the father, he demonstrated, you are worthy. Here's a robe, here's a ring, here's sandals. Let's throw a party. Why? Because I love you. And it's interesting what the older brother did. See, the, the older brother didn't run out. And the older brother stayed in the house. Why? Because he was really frustrated. Because he saw the demonstration of love from the father to the son. And he said to himself, not once have I ever experienced that kind of love. Father, I have been killing it for you. I've been cleaning. I've been working. I've been here day in and day out trying to meet your high expectation on me and you never love me. I'm not feeling the love. And then our failure of a son comes home and where he's just blown all your money and you shower him with love and not once did you shower me with love. See, you, do you recognize what's happened? The soil of his heart had expectation in it. He thought he had to perform for his father to meet the expectation. And because of that, he didn't recognize the love that his father always had for him. What did the father say to the son? Son, I've been here all along. All of that I have is yours as an expression of my love for you. But he couldn't see it. He couldn't recognize the father's love for him because day in and day out, the older brother was beating himself up because he never felt like he could measure up to the father. See, love does not do well in an environment of expectation. The father had all kinds of love for the son, but the son could not recognize it. I wonder if you relate with that where you're just not feeling love. Like, God, I don't, I don't necessarily feel your love for me. I, I'm just trying to do better. I, I'm just trying to not mess up. I have all of this this past baggage and then I have what seems daunting in front of me because there's a standard of being holy and I know that you're a holy God and I know you, you require that of me and so I'm trying, God, and, and at the end of the day, I'm just tired and I'm worn out and I'm not feeling the love and I'm here to tell you that Jesus already did all of that for you so that you can step into a love relationship with the Father that's not based on expectation, that's based on a transformation of the heart that overflows in a different behavior. We should be different every day. We should look like Jesus more and more every day, but it's not because we're trying to meet his expectation. It's because the love of God is transforming our hearts and the result is that we 
are different. We're different. We are sons and not servants in the house. And the last idea is this. So good soil, it doesn't have, it, it um, starts with acceptance. It doesn't have expectation in there. And lastly, good soil always allows love to produce change. Good soil allows love to produce change. It's the good news that saves us and it's the good news that transforms us. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. See, the good news is not just you got saved from hell. The good news is what continues to transform our life. And the minute that we start thinking that it's the good news stopped at salvation, the moment we start thinking that is the moment that we take over and we've forgotten that we are no longer slaves. We are sons in the house. I want to I leave you with this famous quote by Jesus. He says this, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I kind of always read that as, as this, this phrase that Jesus was saying, is that like the importance is on keeping the commandments. And if you really love me, then you'll meet my expectation. Like show me you love me by keeping my expectation. Show me you love me and be holy. And it's interesting the lens that you read the Bible through will be everything to you. And I'm telling you that, that the lens that, that you see the Bible through is, should be the good news of the gospel, that Jesus set you free from the law of sin and death, so now you are free to go sin and no more. Now you are free. And I wanna, I wanna reread that translation. Anyone who has found themselves in the love of God has discovered soil that produces good fruit. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Anyone who has encountered love and experienced love, anyone who, whose motivation for good deeds, for fruit, is love, anyone's motivation is love, the byproduct will be good fruit. Anyone who's encountered the love of God and has positioned themselves in the love of God will bear fruit, will be different. Unfortunately, the opposite is not true. Love produces change, but performance will never produce love. Living in a performance-based lifestyle, Jesus didn't say that if you keep my commandments, you'll learn to love me. Jesus didn't come and say, hey, everybody, let's start with this. Ten Commandments, and then 400 and something in the book of Leviticus. Let's, let's stick to this, guys. Like, I came to just reiterate, you stick to the commandments. You dive in, double down on the commandments, and the commandments will produce in you this amazing love. We know that's not true. The entire Bible speaks to that, that the law kills. The commandments do not produce a life-giving love relationship. It's the opposite. Don't get the cart before the horse. Start with the love of God. Recognize his love for you and the byproduct will be good, lasting fruit. Will you close your eyes wherever you are and I want to read to you John chapter 15. This amazing passage. 
It says this. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. And by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your heart may be full. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Father God, I thank you that you have invited us to this journey of faith that is performance free, that is expectation free, and that starts with love. It starts with acceptance that breeds good fruit. God, we want our lives to reflect you. Every day we want to get up and say, Jesus, I want to be more like you. But God, I ask that you would work on the soil of our heart so that our motivation for serving you every day would be the overflow of your goodness in our life and not a performance of expectation. God, I pray that you would set us free from that and lead the way into a path of a life-giving relationship with you. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.